Our sermon this morning is entitled The Parable of the Great Banquet. We're going to be working from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. So turn there in your Bibles if you have them. Uh, if you are at, home, well, at your home or here, you can, uh, you can find the liturgy. If you don't have your Bible, you can find the liturgy on jamesrivercommunitychurch.com. It's listed, uh, listed in there. Last week, uh, we saw Jesus at the home of uh, a Pharisee, at the home of a ruler of, of the Pharisees, uh, and he healed a man. Uh, it was on the Sabbath, and he healed a man, and he kind of got caught flack for it from, from the guys that were, that were there. And so um, he rebukes the Pharisees for their, for their judgment of him. Uh, he, he rebukes all of the guests. He confronts all of the guests at this party because they're all scrambling and they're all kind of clamoring to get the best seats in the house. And he, uh, you know, exhorts them to be humble and not proud and so to be content with seats that are not necessarily the best uh, in, in the house. And then, and then he specifically confronts and specifically rebukes the host of the party uh, for inviting all of his rich friends and inviting all of, you know, people that he wanted to have owing him favors after the, after the fact. And so he exhorts uh, the host and everyone there to, to, be, uh, to exhibit g- generosity, but, but real true, genuine generosity as opposed to just, you know, horse trading and trying to, you know, get, trying to, you know, leverage generosity for a selfish ulterior motive after the, after the fact. So that's the setting. That's, that is the, the, that's where we left off and that's what is happening uh, right now in advance of the text that we're going to read uh, this morning. That's kind of where we, uh, where we were, same party, same guests, same host, all the setting is the same, and we'll, uh, we'll pick up right uh, in the very next verse in chapter 14, verse 15. And it reads, When one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. So please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask your blessing on this time in your word this morning. Lord, we ask you to, to quiet our hearts, to remove any distractions that might be lingering uh, within them. We ask you, Lord, to open our hearts, so that we can hear from your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. We ask you to convict us of sin, to tell us where we need to change. 
We ask you to assure us of the power of your gospel to forgive us and to cleanse us and then to empower us to live new lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I'll start with verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him. So remember, so these things, like we mentioned at the top, uh, these things are, are hard words from Jesus. These things, right, these things that this guy just heard was Jesus basically telling the host and all of the guests and all of the religious kind of elite and establishment there that you, that you need to be humble, you're too prideful, uh, that you need to be generous, you're too selfish, uh, and, and that, you know, you, um, you need to stop being so obsessed with rules and start actually loving your neighbor and caring about people other than your, yourself. Jesus has, uh, has, has, has told all of these people that they have effectively missed the heart of God. They, they've become obsessed, they've become sidetracked and obsessed with some other thing, and they've gotten far into the, into the weeds, and that, they're, that they're, they're not loving God, they're not loving their neighbor, they're seeking to be honored, but they're going to be humiliated, right? And that God is not pleased with them. That's, that's like what has just taken place. There's this like thick, heavy, awkward silence in the room because everyone from the from every single guest to every single person to the host himself has all received a a hard difficult rebuke from Jesus telling them that they need to change and there's this there's this eerie silence and then this guy decides to pipe up right in the middle of that eerie silence he says blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God which which on the surface is true, right? It's true that everyone who goes to heaven to be with Jesus is going to be uh, tremendously blessed. It's true that they are, uh, at that moment, being treated far better than they deserve to be treated. It's true that it's a great blessing to be a citizen uh, in God's kingdom. So he's not wrong. He just is probably saying this, uh, you know, he's probably giving these words of encouragement, not necessarily at the right time or, or place. Jesus has like, intentionally, systematically, purposefully created a, a, a tense, awkward moment. And he did it on purpose because the, like, the behavior of the people at this party warranted rebuke. It warranted tension. It warranted like, kind of a, a, an awkward, uncomfortable silence. And this guy decides, I'm not, I am too uncomfortable with this silence that Jesus created, so I am going to break the silence and say something that I think will, will encourage everyone. But, you know, sometimes God, sometimes God wants us to be uncomfortable. Sometimes, sometimes discomfort and an awkward silence is actually the space that God and specifically the Holy Spirit uses to work in the lives and, and hearts of his people. Right? It's, it's not helpful if someone is convicted of sin and they're wrestling with repentance and they're, they're wrestling with crying out to God for help. It's not helpful to go up to them and, to, and say, you know, cheer up. Everything is, everything is great. You're doing just fine. Don't change a thing, right? Turn that frown upside down. Let's be, you know, let's be happy together. If you're, if you're at a funeral and a person passed away who didn't know Jesus, uh, it's not helpful to, to say he's in a better place now just because that is that might break the awkward silence that you are that you are experiencing it might it might do that it might temporarily superficially provide some you know alleviation of discomfort but ultimately in the long run it's unhelpful sometimes silence is a good thing and sometimes uh discomfort 
is a good thing. But this guy uh, can't stomach any discomfort, so he just pipes right in. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of, of God. And Jesus responds, there was once a man uh, who gave a great banquet and invited many. So there's a big party thrown by a wealthy man. He invites tons of people uh, to join him. Big celebration. And the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So, so the first invitation would have gone uh, well in advance, right? It would, it would have been like a save the date or something, right? Weeks in advance. Don't make any plans on this evening. I'm going to have a big party. I want you to come over. We're going to enjoy our time together. People will likely would have already RSVP'd by this time. They would have told the servant at the first pass that they were coming. I'll be there. And then days, weeks, months, whatever it is later, the big day arrives. And so this is like a second invitation, right? Where, where um, you know, the equivalent of like sending an Uber or a car service to go pick these people up so that they can come and enjoy this, right? Don't worry about driving. You know, I've taken care of all that in case you have a drink you can be able to get home safely the 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 master the the host of this banquet is rolling out the red carpet for these people he's he's spending lavishly on a big party that they can enjoy with him and he is uh, making sure that they have everything that they need to get there and to enjoy the party with him but then in verse 18 they all alike began to make excuses the first one said, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So this is uh, insulting to this, to this person throwing a party, right? They've said that they're coming. And they have kind of made arrangements to come. A lot of money has been spent on this big, big party. Everyone's been looking forward to it. And they, they ditch him. And they ditch him with what, frankly, amount to kind of lame excuses, right? I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. So uh, just like today, right? How many, how many real estate transactions have you made sight unseen? Like I'm just going to, I'm going to buy a piece of real estate without looking at it and without, you know, negotiating the price and making sure that I'm getting a good, a good deal and making sure that it's going to be a good investment for me. That was true even more so then than it is today, right? In all likelihood, he would have already seen this field. We'd already known exactly what it, what it is. Right? Uh, or, I've bought five yoke of oxen, so I must go examine them. Same thing. This is a big investment. This is a costly purchase for his business. This is, this is uh, ten oxen, five pairs of oxen. So this would be a significant purchase for him and his family and, and his, uh, his business, his profit-generating, uh, you know, family-providing for uh, service that he has. So in all likelihood, he would have already seen these oxen. He would have already examined them. He would have already, uh, you know, made sure that he's getting the best price and the best uh, deal. This last one's especially him. I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Like, how many, how many wives are going are gonna to be opposed to go, like, getting dressed up and going out on a fancy date to a nice dinner and socializing and having fun with their, with their friends? Right? That's, that's, that, so I, I've only been married two years, but... I imagine that I'm not uh, unique when I say that if between Jerry and myself, if one of us is going to want to go to a fancy dinner and have fun, and the other is going to want to eat pizza and watch, you know, watch sports at home, like that's the lame excuse, right? If 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 you get an invitation to a big fun fancy party where you get dressed up and hang out with people, and you're saying that I'm married, is not a good excuse, right? You would you would just bring your wife, and you guys would have a good time at the party. Uh, together. So the servant comes and he brings all of this back to his master. People are f- 
are kind of dropping off. People are not coming. They're giving me excuses. No one's, no one's coming. They're sending their regrets. And the master, verse 21, the master becomes angry. Right? He says, go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Right? When the master hears about all of these people who are not coming to his party and all of the lame excuses that they are offering, he is enraged because he invited them personally. He thought about them. He wanted them to be at this party with him. He went out of his way to make sure that they would be able to be there. So what does he, what does he do? Right? Right, go, right, go get all the people that didn't make the original guest list. Right, My house can only hold so many people, and I invited people to fill it, and now it's empty, so go find people that didn't make the original guest list. Bring them in. Right, Bring in outcasts, rejects, poor, crippled, blo- like bring the, the despised, the tired, the poor, the huddled masses. Bring the wretched refuse of society. Right? I'm having a party one way or the other, and I want my house to be full. I want the food to be eaten, so find people to come in here and enjoy this party with me. These, these guys, the, the, the people who started giving lame excuses and not being willing to come to the party, did not thwart the host's plans to have an extravagant fun party right it's not like he said well um i guess i guess since these guests can't come i don't have any other options i wanted to have a party but now i'm like call the caterer call the dj call the party planner tell them all to stay home because none of them are coming and so now we can't have a party god the the master of the house planned a party and his his desire and his will to have this party are not thwarted by people not being there. Likewise, God's sovereign plans and sovereign purposes are not thwarted by human rebellion. They're not thwarted by human sin. They are not thrown off course when we don't receive God's invitation the way that God hopes and anticipates that we will. If people rebel, sin against God, reject God, decide to do their own thing instead of God's will, God continues right along, accomplishing His will. He has a plan that's good, it's perfect, and He will accomplish it even in spite of our sin and our rebellion, right? Satan, demons, humanity, everyone's trying to mess up what God is trying to accomplish, but God's sovereign will will prevail over our rebellious, sinful attempts to thwart it. So the master says, go get the poor, go get the crippled, go get the blind, go get the lame. Now in this, in this story, uh, this kind of fourfold descriptor does not represent the, the people at this party. It does not represent the spiritual uh, elites, the very people that Jesus has just rebuked the host. For, he says, you only invite uh, you know, people that are, that are your friends, people that you want owing you favors. Instead, you should invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And now Jesus is telling a story where the host of this party actively invites the poor and the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So these are not Pharisees. They're not lawyers. They're not chief priests. They're not powerful, influential people. These are regu- These are common people. These are regular people, unschooled, untrained, uneducated. These people in this story represent in broader humanity sinners and and, and heathens and gluttons and drunkards and prostitutes. They represent the dregs of society that everyone looks down on and everyone despises and everyone judges and everyone thinks I'm better than them. And Jesus says they are the ones They're the ones coming to the party. They're the ones coming to the party of God's kingdom. Sinners, lowlifes, 
scoundrels, right? They're co- you got invited, you failed, you dropped the ball, they got it, they're coming. Rich, powerful, righteous, well-to-do, these people are going to be excluded. Poor, crippled, blind, lame sinners are going to be welcomed in. And it's not just that, right? It even goes even further. Verse 22. And then the servant said, Okay, what you've done has been committed. What you've committed has been done. We've gone out and gotten the sinners and the riffraff and the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and there is still room. Right? We're still not full. We've got all of the misfit toys that we could find. We're still at half capacity. So what should we do? Should we should we call it off? Right? Now the master's in a real pinch because now he has, he's sought other people to fill his party and it's still not full, right? So, so maybe now he's going to go back to the, the first kind of, uh, you know, cast of people that he invited and hat in hand and say, listen, I really need you to come to this, to this party, right? Like, please, I need you there. You guys are awesome and my party won't be good. You are the centerpiece of my party. I need you to be there so that we can all say how awesome you are. You're the most important thing at my party. In verse 23, he doesn't do that and does the exact opposite. Then the master says, all right, go out to the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Right? If, if verse 21 was about the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst within the nation of Israel, then verse 23 broadens the circle out even further leave the city get like get on the hot go get on highway 64 drive until you run out of gas go find anyone that you can from anywhere that you can go as far as you need to go to bring people here he's referring to to gentiles he's referring to people outside of the nation of israel go to samaria welcome them in go to egypt welcome them in go to tyre and sidon and asia minor go go find greeks and romans and welcome them in right Fill my party with all of these uncircumcised, polytheistic, idol-worshipping barbarians and savages and foreigners. Find those people and, and bring those people into my party so that they can experience a covenant relationship with me that I had originally reserved specifically for the nation of Israel. All of you guys can trace your lineage back to Abraham. All the people at this party and all the people that were originally invited. This is the religious elite within the nation of Israel. You guys can, you know, my father's 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 father was, you know, Moses or Aaron. And, and you know, go back further. And there's Jacob and Isaac and, and Abraham himself. And my family has had a special relationship with God for centuries. And now you're telling me that I'm going to get cut in line not by another member of the religious elite, but by some foreigner, some immigrant, right? Some guy whose spiritual lineage amounts to worshiping idols and worshiping demons for as far back as they can trade. Like those people are getting in and we are getting left out. That's exactly what Jesus is saying, right? He says, I tell you, none of those men who were originally invited shall taste my banquet. He's saying, he's saying the worst, the worst of the worst sinners are in, the foreigners and the Gentiles are in, and you are out, right? But wait, I've, I'm a member of the religious aristocracy within the nation of Israel. I possess a covenant relationship with God. How can I be excluded? Right? I have been going to church since I was a kid. I've 
you know, uh, accepted Christ at VBS when I was a child. I've never done anything wrong. I've never drank or smoked or, you know, I've, I've always kind of lived buttoned up. I've always been good. I deserve to be in God's kingdom and they don't. And Jesus says, they're in and you are out. The sinners are in. The people who just don't deserve to be in are in. And, and those who feel that they do deserve to be in are excluded. This is the recurring theme in the Gospel of Luke of eschatological reversal. Where, where, you know, in, in the eschaton, in the end times, when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom, everything is flipped on its head. The paradigm that you thought that you were living in, it's the exact opposite, right? It's not that the good are in and the bad are out. It's not that the wealthy are in and the poor are out. It's that the humble are in and the proud are out. And Jesus says, you know, you you would be surprised that a lot, of the, a lot of the good people actually find humility difficult to come by because as they understand it, they already have all the righteousness that they will ever need. Conversely, a lot of the bad people find themselves humbly crying out to God in a moment of despair out of necessity because they have no spiritual capital at all. Right? They realized that they could never earn God's favor on, on their own. So this, so this story and, and the implications of it is intended to be um, a, a brushback pitch to the, to the people that are there at this party. Right? It's intended to, to kind of hit them a little bit and to, to rebuke them and to call them out of their prideful, sinful attitudes and, and behaviors. Because Jesus, this story... In this story, Jesus is essentially teaching two truths, two theological realities, two theological truths that would be just entirely scandalous and offensive to the people at this party. Two overarching theological themes. One, that the gospel is inclusive, and the other, that the gospel is exclusive, right? Both of them uh, true in their own right. Both of them scandalous to the members of this party in their own right. First, the gospel is inclusive. So, so they, would, they would hear it and say, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, what, you can't possibly uh, mean that the poor and the crippled... Like, when you say poor, crippled, blind, and lame, you can't be, be meaning that, uh, that these people are... Go- like, that people who don't deserve to be in God's kingdom are going to be invited and I'm going to be left out. The highways and the hedges... I, I wouldn't be caught dead at a party with people like that. And Jesus is saying the gospel is radically, scandalously inclusive, right? right? It's an open invitation to anyone and everyone. Its reach extends to the very ends of the earth. It's not limited to a particular nation. It's not limited to a particular language. It's not limited to a particular ethnicity or skin color. It's not for Jewish people like maybe they thought in the first century. It's not for Europeans like maybe they thought centuries later. It's not for Americans, white people, Western people. The invitation of the gospel goes out across the earth to anyone and to everyone. And so if you're in the the spiritual 1%, right, if you are on top of the religious ladder in the nation of Israel, this idea of an inclusive gospel that welcomes the worst of the worst and welcomes the very sinners that I've been judging, I've been looking down on my whole life, this is offensive. This is scandalous. This is, this is unsettling, right? This would be like, this would be like 
investing in Apple when it's, when it's you know, still in someone's garage and owning 49% of the company, and then they have a, a public stock offering where they offer stock to anyone and everyone, and your stock is not protected, and so it gets diluted. And so now instead of owning 49% of this company, you own 0.000001% of this company. And the, the investment that you thought was going to make you a multi-billionaire, the richest person in the world, nets you a few hundred bucks because your stock got diluted when it was extended and when everyone was allowed to kind of buy in when you were there first. You had a, a, a exclusive claim on this gospel that was now inclusively, you know, open-ended, given to anyone and everyone. So these guys are saying, don't, don't tell me that the gospel is inclusive. I don't want to hear that I'm going to be sharing uh, space in heaven with Gentiles. I don't want to hear that I'm going to be cohabiting in heaven with a bunch of foreigners and sinners and heathens, people who used to worship Allah or used to worship Buddha, right? I'd rather, I'd ra- I'm more comfortable with my initial assumption, which is that heaven is going to become, you know, filled by me and people like me, right? And people who look like me and talk like me and like the things that I like and do the things that I do. I'd rather proceed under the assumption that the, the, only the best and only the most righteous and only the most devout people get into God's kingdom and conveniently, I count myself among them. So if you're in like the spiritual 1%, the idea that God's gospel is inclusive is scandalous and it's offensive. Of course, on the other hand, if you are part of the anyone and everyone, then the idea that the gospel is extended and is available to anyone and everyone is great news. If you are poor, if you're crippled, if you're blind, if you're lame, then the idea that poor, crippled, blind, lame people get invited into this kingdom, into this banquet, is great news. If you are out in the highways and the hedges, this is great news. The fact that God's gospel goes out to anyone and everyone is the best news that you could ever hear because it means that where you were formerly excluded, now you are welcome. Formerly you were far away, now you have been brought near. Formerly, you were an enemy of God under His righteous wrath, deserving of hell. But now, in Christ, you can experience the nearness of God, the grace of God. Jesus has paid the penalty that should have been yours, and you can now enjoy the love and the grace of God. You can be treated by God as if you lived the perfect life of Christ, because Jesus was punished in your place, and His righteousness is freely imputed to you. For those who are outside of the spiritual, religious, moral, elite aristocracy, then this idea of of open, free, universal, inclusive gospel that's available to anyone is great news. It's scandalous to some, and it's glorious to others. So that's the first truth that this... That this parable teaches that would have been scandalous to some, glorious to others. The second is that the gospel is exclusive, right? So it's inclusive, and that's scandalous, but it's also exclusive. And here's what what I mean. It's, It's true that this gospel invitation goes out to anyone and everyone. It's true that anyone can respond to the gospel, and they can come to God through repentance and faith. So in a sense, it is inclusive. It's radically inclusive. There's a universal call. But it's also true that the gospel invitation to the kingdom of God requires a response. It demands a response. And in that sense, it is very exclusive. 
It exclusively demands that you receive it, that you love it, that you cherish it. It demands that you prioritize it and that you orient your life around it. And if you don't do that, then you can't come in. The the gospel invitation is open freely to anyone, but it does not belong to anyone by divine right, by virtue of your last name, or by virtue of your net worth, or by virtue of the color of your skin. The gospel is available to anyone, but God is the gospel is available to everyone, but God is not obligated to anyone. Which again, if you are in the spiritual 1%, this is scandalous, right? If you are operating under the impression that you kind of have the, the inside track on getting to God and being with God because of who you are and because of who you know and because of your family and because of your lineage, if you think that you have access to God and forgiveness to God and grace from God because it's something that is owed to you, then this notion that the gospel requires a response from you, this notion that if you don't respond rightly to the gospel, you will be excluded from it, this is offensive. Right? If your operating assumption is that God loves me because I'm great, God wants me, God is lucky to have me, God would never rescind his invitation to me simply because I spurned it, uh, simply because I've prioritized other things above him, Sure, I loved money more than God. Sure, I loved uh, you know, my career more than God. Sure, I loved my family more than God. But that's entirely appropriate because I'm awesome and I'm totally free to prioritize anything that I want on my terms. God would be grateful. God would be lucky to have me even if he is second, third, fourth, ninth in my heart. And God says, anyone and everyone is welcome to come into my kingdom but you have to want to be there. You have to receive the invitation. You have to prioritize the invitation to my kingdom above everything else. So, so this first guy with the fields is valuing his possessions more than he values the kingdom of God. So he's not fit to be in the kingdom of God. The second guy with the oxen is valuing his business and his career more than the kingdom of God. So he's not fit for the kingdom of God. The third guy with his wife, he he values his earthly family more than he values the kingdom of God. So he's not fit for the kingdom of God. If, If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you don't have to be particularly impressive. You don't have to be part of the spiritual elite, but you do have to want to be there. And you do have to prioritize being there in your life and in your heart. I was watching a movie a while ago. There's a, a wealthy CEO who's getting sued, and he's sitting in a deposition with a bunch of lawyers around a table in, in a conference room, and he's, you know, kind of being snarky or he's, you know, being uh, sarcastic with some of the questions. And at one point, the lawyer asks him, <clears throat> Sir, do I have your attention? And he responds, No. He goes, Wait, well, I don't have your attention? No. Do you think I deserve your attention? And he, like, looks at him and he goes, No. You don't have my full attention. I don't think you deserve my full attention. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum, the absolute minimum amount of my attention. The rest of my attention is back in my office where my colleagues and I are doing things that you nor anyone in this room are, are not intellectually or creatively capable of doing. You have the minimum amount of my attention and not one little bit more. And that, frankly, is how, how these invitees are treating this, this uh, party that they were invited to. I want to come to your party, 
but just the, the minimum amount. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm a big deal. I've got other things going on that require my attention. I might show up. I might not. We'll wait and see. If I do show up, lucky you. You can thank me later. And the host rescinds his invitation. And they can't come to his party. And if we treat God like that, then we cannot be a part of God's kingdom. God won't keep anyone out of his kingdom because they weren't good enough, they weren't smart enough, they weren't successful enough, they weren't attractive enough, they weren't righteous enough, they weren't moral enough. But God will keep people out of his kingdom if they don't want to be there. And if they don't love him. And if they don't love him more than they love anything else. God will keep people out of His kingdom if they don't make God a priority. Make make knowing God a priority and walking with God a priority and obeying God a priority and glorifying and enjoying and being with God. If, If these things aren't priorities, if we love other things more than we love God, then God has some difficult words for us to hear. Like this party, uh, like this host, God is telling us, I don't I don't need you. I don't need anything from anyone, right? You need me more than I need you. We need God more than God needs us, which means God has all the leverage, which means we don't get to come into God's kingdom on our terms, prioritizing other things as we see fit, right? We come into God's kingdom on God's terms, which means we let go of everything else and we prioritize God over anything and everything else, Turning from sin, turning to God, trusting in Christ, trusting in the sufficiency of His death and His resurrection, right? Instead of trusting in our own righteousness and our own merit. And if we do, we will find that God welcomes us into His kingdom, into His banquet, where we will partake of the richest of foods and where we will enjoy God's glorious presence. God's gospel is inclusive. It's open to anyone, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, righteous and unrighteous, every nation, tribe, people, and language. Anyone can come to God through repentance and faith. But God's gospel is exclusive, and it is only for those people who will receive it and who will prioritize it above everything else and who will, in fact, turn from their sin and come to him in repentance and faith. And God is calling our church to do just that together as a family. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful, glorious gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the gospel is open and available to broken sinners like us. We acknowledge that we fit into that category. We do not have it all together, and we desperately need your grace and your help. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to save us from our sin, save us from our pride, help us to love you, help us to prioritize you, help us to walk in faithfulness and in obedience to your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.